Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Means that the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft goes to the Detroit Pistons. Who's got the number one pick in this year's Detroit. draft? Who's got the number one pick in this year's draft? Basketball! Select Isaiah Stewart. The Detroit Pistons select Killian Hayes. Sadiq, that was absolutely sensational. I don't know what went into that process. I met the criteria to be selected, but I wasn't. From long range. Oh! Yes! Yes! Detroit Basketball! Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Ng Milano, and joining me as always is Aaron Johnson and Jasper Apollonia. Fellas, how are we doing? Happy to be back. Happy to have all three of us here. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna not complain about the weather getting very, I'll say, disappointing. And I'm just going to say that I'm happy to be here with you two. The trio back in full effect. Let's do it. I was going to say. All it's, of our senses. It's nice to have you and your voice back, Aaron. That was uh, rough. You, you were, it was missed. Uh, but yeah, I'm happy we're, we're all here together. I feel like we don't get enough of these, all three of us together, but we do make it work, uh, as much as we can, uh, much like the Pistons. We don't always all show up, but when we do show up, at least one or two of us is doing the best we can. So, and much like the Pistons, none of us are offensive. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I don't know, man. Looking at some of these, uh, looking at some of these numbers, and I'm feeling somewhat offended looking at this offense for Detroit. Last night was was yeah, that was offensive to my eyeballs. That first quarter was my God. Like, what even do you say about that? They, they were down 41 to 16 at one point, Mike and Aaron. 41 to 16. Not sure this is going to hit any of our either. I'm not sure if you got either of you guys are going to recognize this or understand this reference or if it's, it's any of our target audience, but there's a, a country song. It's pretty new out. It's called memory. I don't mess with that's, that's what I'm thinking of when I, when I try to think about yesterday's game, I'm just not mm-hmm. going to think about it. It's not a memory that I want to mess with. I just don't want to have to ever think of it. So taking that approach to that awful quote unquote basketball game, that we were able to sit through you last night. Yeah, I I tweeted out a little little homemade meme last night. Uh, you know, oh, I saw it. I retweeted it. I retweeted that. Retweeted it onto the, that is that's right. Which I thought was at, very appropriate after uh, you know two of the last three games being some of the worst I've ever ever seen the Pistons play uh, with the, uh, the that awful showing against the Cavaliers, which was. I mean, genuinely, one of the worst offensive showings the Pistons have had in the last 20 years. Um, They, you know, post-hand-checking era, this was one of their bottom 30 worst scoring games since I believe I said it was 2010. So you get two of these a year, usually. Uh, We got two of them in the last week uh, because the Pistons followed up that Horrible showing against the Cavaliers with a great game against the Toronto Raptors. And then last night they come out and they crap all over it, which is why I tweeted out that meme of the Simpsons going, 
this is the worst game I've ever seen. No, it's the worst game you've ever seen so far. And <laughs> like, gentlemen, I am not seeing anything after what are we four, 13 games into the season now? After 13 games, I have not seen one single solitary reason to believe that this offense is going to change radically in any way, shape, or form. They are so far below water. It's, I, I mean, they're about to, they're not going to come up for air. They're about to float to the surface because they've already drowned. That's how bad it is. Wow. Good solilo- soliloquy to start. I mean, here, Mike, should you should we do should we do the read and then do we just jump into that topic? Because I mean, yeah, let's, Jasper was kind of going there. Let's cleanse ourselves of Jasper's word vomit all of a sudden and <laughs> give a shout out to our sponsor first and uh, first and foremost, and that would be Bet Online. Much like the Palace of Pistons podcast, we're all back together, all three of us. We're back. Uh, and better than ever. Bet online is back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head on over to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use that promo code BLEAVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive. Your 50% welcome bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right over to your your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Guys, I don't even think Jasper's uh, soliloquy, as Aaron eloquently put, is part of our topics, but um, I feel like we're going to be hitting on the atrocious piston throughout all three of these topics. And I think we should start first off with the trade rumors um, that came down the pipeline. NBA insider Mark Stein reported this past weekend that the Pistons are interested in potentially acquiring Marvin Bagley the third. Now he had seven points, three boards and a block against the Pistons in that drubbing. Uh, But let's not forget that the big story with Marvin Bagley prior to his sudden trade uh, um, interest from the Pistons is that he refused to come into a game against the San Antonio Spurs, what, like like late last week? Yeah, it it was like that happened with Bagley like last week. And then a couple days later, like a similar thing happened with Hamadou Diallo where Dwayne Casey was finally going to put him in. And then he like nonchalantly ignored him and then walked by him. And there's a couple NBA players that are refusing to play or not really wanting to play. I don't know. Uh, Marvin Bagley is one of them, though. And he's an interesting case, I guess. I don't know if you had anything else really to add, Mike, but just to kind of get the conversation started, uh, let's. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, my gosh, yes, Marvin Bagley, former top three pick. Go for it. Absolutely. Um, let's hold our horses for a second. The Sacramento Kings are are horrible consistently. But if you're not able to get in on the Kings, what does that say? Like, I don't I, – I wouldn't hate it if the Pistons traded from Marvin Bagley because it, it sounds like there's very little value attached to him, so it wouldn't really cost anything. You're just taking a flyer on him. 
Lord knows the Pistons need any help they can get on the front line. Sure. Like if, if Sacramento's willing to just kind of send them to Detroit for whatever, fine. But he's far from solving the problems that the Pistons have. Again, I don't know if you had anything else to add on that, Mike, but I'll just give that little quick blurb right there. Um, well, you know, I put in the article for Palace of Pistons that it's a low risk, kind of low ish at <laughs> the medium level reward. I mean, Marvin Bagley is not going to turn into an all star. Um, he is a body that can play the four or the five. I don't know how adequately he can play the five. He's been kind of wasting away on that roster. Um, it was just a bad pick from the very beginning. As soon as Lucas started to go supernova on the league, his rookie season, it was already looking like a terrible pick. To, to be so, fair, I'm sorry, I have to say, that was a bad pick even before Luka Doncic ever stepped on an NBA court. It you know, didn't it, make sense. It was one of the so, worst, worst, most obviously wrong picks I've seen in so long. And, of course, it was the Kings that made it because they're the, the, the Kings. We just um, didn't know how wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was always a thought, hey, Mar- maybe Marvin Bagley's like, I thought of the same way I thought of him I, I, as I think of, like, DeAndre Ayton, where I was like, I think DeAndre Ayton can be a really good player, but he's the wrong guy at number one overall. It, it was obviously not the right pick at the time, uh, but whatever. I, I guess the NBA has finally gotten as smart as me. Good for them. Um no, I mean, look, that's right. Uh, the, here's the thing, though, with the Pistons, where it's like every single player that right now, over the last few months even, that they have been linked to in trade rumors, whether it's Marvin Bagley or it's Ben Simmons, these are guys that aren't playing. Like, this is how dire it is for the Pistons, because you almost feel as though they don't have any trade chips out there that, at least the guys that you're willing to part with, none of those guys are going to get you anything back that's worth a damn right now. Like, that's very apparent. So you're really just at this point where you're like, maybe Ben Simmons will come here. Maybe if we throw Jeremy Grant and all this stuff because no one else will trade for him. Maybe Marvin Bagley will come here. Oh, well, we'll trade the guy that refuses to play for your team for the guy that refuses to play for our team. That'll work out great. Like, what are we doing here? I I understand why these trade rumors are there. The Pistons traded away their best pick and roll threat, the big man that kind of held them together in Mason Plumlee, which we're really seeing now. They did not address that by acquiring the proper amount of depth at the big man positions, which we harped on all offseason, all three of us did. They they didn't go out there and do anything other than get Kelly Olenek, who's not really a center. So then when he goes down, which again, all three of us said there was a chance of one of him or Stewart going down, and then you're left with no depth at the backup center position. You're throwing Luca Garza out there to get dunked on three times a game. So now you're in a position where you have to go out and trade for somebody like Marvin Bagley, who can't play. The guy stinks. I'm somebody, I'll always say this. If you're under 25 years of age and you've been a productive NBA player, even if the efficiency is off, even if the the situation is off, I'm willing to take a chance on you because you've shown you can at least do something in this league. I haven't seen anything from Marvin Bagley that makes me go, oh, well, you know, if they trade Hamadou Diallo for him, they're fine until 
course, and, until Kelly Olynyk comes back, which, by the way, they can't even do because they just re-signed Hamadou Diallo, so they can't trade him until December, meaning that no matter what you do, you're screwed for the next month. I, I don't know, man. This is just really – it's disheartening that they're in this position right now where they have to trade for somebody as poor as Marvin Bagley and that fans are clamoring for it. Like, what has Troy Weaver done in this offseason? I understand that this is a rebuilding project. I understand that they're going to lose a lot of games. But I'm at the point where I have to look at what Troy Weaver did in this offseason and say, you know what? You didn't do a good job. It's okay if you lose. It's not okay to get embarrassed on a nightly basis. And that's what this team is going out and doing, even before Kelly Olenek got hurt. The, the Troy Weaver conversation, that's a totally different conversation to have. Um, I agree. Having Kelly Olenek going down and your entire front court being screwed because of that is an indictment on the moves that he made to have that lack of depth. Um, but that's a different that's that's a different conversation, and it is still very early. Um, they're 13 games in. I try to steer it back to would, would Marvin Bagley make sense? And there's a reason that Mark Stein said that it's more likely a deal like this would get done. Actually, it's seemingly only possible that it gets done around that December 15th time, where where players like Hamadou Diallo can be traded, and other players around the league, uh, you know, become eligible to be traded. That's probably when it's going to happen, and that's probably because Marvin Bagley and Hamadou Diallo are kind of in a position where they could be swapped for each other. And it's like a, like you had alluded to, a kind of a crappy player with a poor disposition being traded for a seemingly similarly uh, unhappy player who doesn't want to play for Dwayne Casey and was upset. And I, I watched the Pistons and Cavs game, and it was poor – body language to say the least and that sort of trade just kind of makes sense does it really help anybody um it kind of helps the pistons a little bit more if olenic's going to be out for a while um uh, i i think it's a pretty low risk type of move um bagley's not going to cost you much uh and the, the pistons don't really have anything to lose with this move uh, aaron am i wrong on any of that they certainly don't have anything to lose because it's you're gonna we're gonna see it over this next month. This is going to be a very long month of watching the Pistons try to figure out different combinations up front. We've already seen them try to throw Luca Garza in. We've seen the I'll be kind of say mixed bag of results with that so far. Um, we haven't really seen them go to what I was. I guess, hoping to see, which was more Jeremy Grant at the five, which would, I think, help unlock some of the offensive issues that the Pistons are having. Uh, And they seem to hold their own defensively. Now, maybe that lineup would hurt them defensively. I don't really know. But offensively, I think that's a way to get another quote-unquote with this team, I guess, offensive threat on the court. And for a team that is atrocious offensively you'd think that would be ideal now I don't know if that's where someone like Hamadou Diallo fits in because he's a bigger body he can get downhill he's a decent rebounder for his size as well which you got to try to make up for when you're playing without a true big on the floor but without Kelly Olenek and and to be fair 
I know that I have, I said this, but you know, when we were rolling up to the season and throughout that first week, I was saying, look, if the Pistons suffer an injury to one of their bigs, they are royally screwed because they just do not have the depth there. You know, last season, albeit it was Jaleel Okafor, they did have that like, you know, last call, super, super last reserve player that they could go to. And they don't have that up front this year. Like Luca Garza is a project. He is a developing player. And it's not going to be able to click for him two weeks into the season, 12 games into the year. So for the Pistons to have to pretty much rely on him right now is not good when they already didn't have enough bigs on the roster and they got to go again, like you just mentioned, essentially a whole month because that's when the rest of the league can, and a lot of these players are able to be able, are able to be moved due to their contracts that they recently signed. It's a conundrum for the Pistons that is going to cause this next month to be really sloppy. And I guess it'll give Luca Garza another month to maybe see if he can adjust and maybe the Pistons find a way to make Trey Lyles at the five work or they do go to Jeremy Grant at the five. I don't know, but Marvin Bagley is certainly worth a shot. The problem is it's not like they're going to be getting Marvin Bagley anytime soon. They got to go a whole nother month without him most likely. And by that point, Kelly Olenek supposed to be maybe a week or two out from returning if, if everything goes well in that front. So yeah, not, I guess in short, it's just not good. It's just really not good. And you know what? You just brought up, I think, a, a good point with the Jeremy Grant at the five thing. We actually did see that for a, a few minutes against the Toronto Raptors, and unless, of course, I I blacked out um, due from from just not being able to follow the game after uh, the Cleveland debacle. Um, yeah, I mean, in you know what? It went pretty well. I actually thought when Jeremy Grant was kind of their their primary big man out there, so. Of course, that's what they did last night against the uh, against the Kings because it worked well the game before, right? Oh no, wait, actually, they no, they didn't. They didn't do that. Uh, they actually just kept on doing the same thing that they did before. Then that's my bad. Um, no, you know what? I think you bring up a good point also with the Luca Garza thing. He's not ready. You're you're totally right on that. He isn't ready. But the problem is he's also while not being ready, and and I believe it's Keith Black brought this up on Twitter last night. I'll give him credit for this. He's the best screen setter on this team. On a team with two players, you're, you're, both of your guards are primarily pick-and-roll ball handlers. The only guy on the team who can really set a good screen for either one of those guys is the 54th overall pick in this year's draft who can't play defense and isn't ready even to step onto the floor for 15, 20 minutes a game. I'm, that only, is, I'm only half joking, and I've been saying this to a couple people now for like the last week or so, but I'm only half joking when I say Andre Drummond would solve a lot of issues for the Detroit Pistons right about now. So honestly, so would Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley oh, yeah, would absolutely. solve a lot of the issues for this, absolutely. Christian, this team right now. I mean, Christian Wood, yeah. I, it, the, well, you couldn't spend you the money on would? Christian Wood. Sean but, Holmes. Oh, my. That's your guy. You've been talking about him since what, June? Oh, and watching him just eat this Pistons front court alive last night was just one of those things where I just, uh, 
I like being proven wrong when I'm negative. I really do. I unfortunately have been proven very much correct about most of my misgivings of this offseason. And I know that really what we're talking about here is Marvin Bagley and is he a fit? But I don't think that you can separate the discussion about Marvin Bagley being a fit with the Pistons from the roster construction that we've gotten. Because the fact of the matter is they should not be in this position where they have to wait a month to maybe trade for a guy who's a bust. And like, that's the light at the end of the tunnel. Folks, it's a train. Like, they are in trouble. It is not good. They are in trouble. It is not good. And and It is not good. It's just bad. (laughs) It's just bad. So it's bad to watch. That is very true. The offense, I mean, even me sitting in Rocky Mortgage Field, I was watching the game, I thought, I I might – I might go get a drink or a hot dog or something. Uh, yeah, because a, a some strong of just, drink. Some of this was quite hard to watch. Now, we could wrap up the Marvin Bagley discussion because I think we're all in agreement that he would be fine on this roster and the Pistons definitely need a big, and he's, you know, he was a, a, an okay – he was a rotational player. His first three years, he averaged 14.5 points, 7.5 boards per game. I mean, that's, that's fine. That is an acceptable player, and, and, and he did that all with a, with a coaching carousel and a front office that was like eating paste eight hours a day. I think a change of scenery could do him some, some okay. It's going to cost you nothing. It gives you another guy that has maybe a little bit of upside. Obviously, he's never going to be an all-star, like I said. He just doesn't exude that, but he's a body, and Aaron's right. The next month is going to be pretty brutal. They're going to have to play some Jeremy at the five, potentially by necessity. I mean, Isaiah Stewart's coming off of an ankle injury that was mysteriously not heavily reported over the summer. So, I mean, they, they were coming into the season banged up and they're already banged up now. It's the optics are quite bad. And I think we should eventually have the Troy Weaver discussion at some point down the road. Um, Cause Luca Garza, I mean, somebody's gonna have to get him out of the body bag after Jared Allen went at him twice in two possessions or three possessions or whatever it was. I mean, the poor, the poor guy got, I mean, he got baptized twice. Um, so front court situation, not very good. Um, but I think we can all agree that it's going to, it's going to cost nothing to get Marvin Bagley. Well, luckily, that that's, luckily, luckily that's what the Pistons have a whole lot of nothing. So. Yeah, they have a whole lot of nothing. And thankfully, the Kings, you know, would accept probably nothing because they just want him off the team um, and away so that his dad doesn't have to tweet uh, about how his son <laughs> isn't getting any playing time. That's right. And he'll get a, he'll get a lot of playing time in uh, Detroit. And that is a good and a bad thing. Uh, and that I kind of know. leads into the next topic, um, which is about Dwayne Casey. And it's an uncomfortable discussion because I think at the end of last year, I think we all thought that Dwayne Casey was doing fine. He was handed uh, not the best hand in the world um, of players. They were obviously tanking, but this team, and we talked about the offense 30th in the league in points per game, 30th in field goal percentage, 30th in three point field goal percentage, 30th in true shooting percentage, 29th in rebounds per game. And 29th overall in plus minus. 
Hey, guess what? At least, Mike, guess what? They're not last in offensive rating anymore. Celebrate good times. Come on. Yeah. I don't know if we need to. I don't know if we have to have a disclaimer for that music or if we're going to get demonetized for playing that, but <laughs> I think that counts as, I think that counts as a cover. <laughs> um, we would have also accepted the Kerber enthusiasm theme song. While I <laughs> yeah. Might off. be more appropriate. Might be more appropriate. And you know what? Yeah. Just like this Piston season, this season of Curb Your Enthusiasm has also been pretty crappy. Ooh. I sorry. Sorry, Layer. Yeah, sorry, Larry David. I went there. I um, do I do like Larry, but um, guys, this offense is it's borderline atrocious. Dwayne Casey, is he coaching this team properly? Uh, Jasper, you wanna go you wanna go first here? Yeah, so I've I've been critical of, of both. Look, this is something that in coming out of last year. When it came to Dwayne Casey, one of the reasons I think we gave him a lot of credit was that he kept this roster competitive despite there not being a lot of good talent on it. But one of the caveats I even was putting in back then was, A, I didn't care for his rotations, and B, a reason why they were in so many close games was probably Dwayne Casey. The reason they lost so many close games was also probably because of Dwayne Casey. And this is the same issue you're seeing this year when there are heightened expectations on this roster and players that last year had very specific roles. I think about Sadiq Bey, for example, who is expanding his game this year. And a byproduct of that expansion of his game has been less efficiency from outside. You know, Corey Joseph is not giving you a career season again. Sorry, it's not happening. Uh, Jeremy Grant, same thing. He's just been a little overexposed because teams know that they just have to focus on him as the primary offensive guy. You have two essentially rookies in the backcourt who turn over the ball and make mistakes. It happens. So when you're, when you're taking in that natural regression to the mean for a couple of players, when you're adding in the fact that some players are just miscast on this roster – and then you put in Dwayne Casey's poor rotations. They have not been good. I'm sorry. They are an issue. And you put into an offense that doesn't work. It's insipid. And people can say, oh, it's because they're missing open shots. Well, yeah. Do you know why they're missing open shots? Because the majority of those open shots come from Trey Lyles. They come from Josh Jackson. They come from Frank Jackson. These are all players with career three-point percentages of 33% or lower. There's a reason these are open shots. And I am sick and tired of hearing people on Twitter say, oh, well, they're taking open shots. Eventually, these open shots are going to hit. No, they won't. Because the majority of them are being taken by guys who can't hit open shots. For me, it's, it's frustrating to see the lack of accountability and the lack of a desire to change and I'm not trying to be mad here I really am not because like this is what we knew this team was going to be they we knew they were going to be bad but the fact that they are running they are bottom five in pick and roll and not only are they bottom five in pick and roll frequency they're second to last in effectiveness with a point guard whose primary strength is the pick and roll 
Like, that's, there's something wrong there. There's something very, very wrong with this situation. And I can't just blame the players for missing shots all the time. At a certain point, the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And from everything I have heard from Dwayne Casey say, he is doing exactly that. He just thinks it's sample size. And guess what? He's wrong. That's, that's all I have to say for right now. I really, because I'm, I don't want to be overly critical because like we do at the same time need to have the proper perspective on this season. They're a bad team. We got lucky last year. Jasper clapped his hands, not once, but twice on his thighs emphatically. How do you respond? Well, hey, Jasper is certainly feeling himself this podcast. I I almost feel like he's ready to like start like a Jasper for general manager campaign. (laughs) No, Um, no, 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 no. No, (laughs) but it's the thing is a lot of the stuff he said is, is absolutely right. I mean, from Troy Weaver on down, uh, the, he said a lot of correct things about the Pistons as a whole. And look, the the Dwayne Casey rotation issues those those problems didn't start in Detroit. Like Raptors no. Twitter was irate with how he managed the Toronto Raptors rotation and how he played guys and how he didn't play guys and how what lineups he used them in. Uh, that's not new. Uh, one of the largest reasons why the Raptors could never get over the hump against the Cleveland Cavaliers, not only was it because they were playing the arguably greatest player of all time, but a lot of people credited to credited to Dwayne Casey not being able to create a good enough offense for them, to, the Raptors, to sustainably be able to compete against the best teams in the league. And I look at this Pistons offense, and I say the same thing. Every single time. Yes. Guys are not hitting shots up and down the roster. You can see that it's honestly, uh, it's a problem that Killian Hayes is the Pistons best three point shooter. It can be spun as a good thing, but in reality, that's a bad thing because Killian Hayes is not a great shooter. And to see guys that are supposed to be quote unquote shooters, that is their quote unquote role in the NBA to see them not hitting shots across the board from the top down of the roster, that is a problem. But it's also a problem when you're giving the ball to Jeremy Grant at the high post and having him isolate. That's just not the right offense. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Jeremy Grant is not Blake Griffin. Jeremy Grant is not an ISO guy. He's not a back down put the ball on the deck, beat a guy one-on-one, take a beat a double down. Like he just doesn't do those things. Well, he's not strong enough. He's not a good enough passer to make defenses respect his ability to find the open man. He just doesn't have all of those qualities. And it's like Dwayne Casey's trying to fit Jeremy Grant into, into a role that that offense is outdated. It's just not the same team. You don't have the same guys. And that is my biggest problem. Yes, the Pistons are not hitting shots. That is not on Dwayne Casey. What is on Dwayne Casey is how he's building the offense, what sets the Pistons are running. Because the Pistons do miss a lot of open looks, by all means. 
That is true. I mean, we've seen the statistics. The Pistons generate some of the best three-point shots in their league so, so far this season, but they have the worst percentage shooting them. So that is a problem. That's not on Dwayne Casey, but it's the rotations, a lot of the features of his offense, the lack of pick and rolls for your two guards that succeed best in the pick and roll. And that also coincides with the roster construction of not having a screen setter, a lob threat, a rim runner, enough athleticism in general on the roster. So these problems, which are created by different people, coincide together. And that's why the Pistons are in the situation they're in in that regard. But yeah, there's just a lot going into the Pistons having the worst offense that the NBA has seen in quite some time. And people have to be held accountable from Dwayne Casey on down. Dwayne Casey has to be held accountable. Sneak Bay has to be held accountable for missing shots. You know, turning the ball over, like Kate Cunningham. He's averaging, what, four and a half turnovers a game, five and a half turnovers a game. Jeremy Grant averaging over two turnovers a game. Like, we have, like, everyone has to be held accountable. But obviously, Dwayne Casey, the coach, is the figurehead. He's always going to draw that criticism overall. And I mean, he's just not had a perfect season. He is a good coach. And what I'll say to that is, People always want to say, hey, you need to fire this guy. You need to fire this coach. He's really bad. What I'll always say in response is, okay, fine. Who are you replacing him with? Who are you going out and getting right now on this same day? On B-line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was always NBA tenure one. Hey, hey. Uh, John Beeline's the one responsible for their three-point shooting regressing. That's the <laughs> I love that. I love that little conspiracy theory. It's John Beeline's fault they can't hit open shots. I think that's really funny. Um no, you're 100% right, Aaron. You know how I, I, I that's 100% the way I'm looking at it right now. I am absolutely going to be critical of Dwayne Casey. I'm absolutely going to be critical of the players and Troy Weaver. But at the same time, we do need to have the proper perspective on it, which is who are you going to go out and get that's better? I don't see options right now for somebody that's better. Maybe Luke Walton when he gets fired in a week. Absolutely. No, not. <laughs> absolutely not. Like Jasper, you had me for about a second. Yeah. No. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look, I I love his I love his look. He he's like the Doug Collins of 2021. Uh he just that is so, a great comparison. He's that's, so that's, swaggy. That's very apt. He's absolutely swaggy. He's one of the swaggiest head coaches in the NBA, but he's not a good head coach. And I think you've really hit the nail on the head. He is a good coach, Aaron. Here's how I am looking at Dwayne Casey right now. And this is why I think for now, he's still probably the right coach. Even if when they are ready to compete, he isn't look at DeMar DeRozan, the player he is now versus the player he was in Toronto superficially, very similar, but in actuality, they're quite different. And the reason is because when he went to San Antonio, Greg Popovich turned him into a more complete player. He turned him into a facilitator a guy who could actually run the offense and have offense flow through him versus just him hunting his own shots, which is primarily what he did in Toronto. He was basically there to score. This is how I see Dwayne Casey. He is the type of guy that is going to bring out the best player in you that you are at the moment, but he's not going to elevate your game into something different. He's not going to, turn a player like DeMar DeRozan. He's going to make DeMar DeRozan into the best DeMar DeRozan he can be, but by himself, right? But he's not going to mold him into something that he 
that is more complete. He's, he's, he's limited. There's just, it's like a B plus head coach. That's what he is. And right now I think you're really seeing it with the Pistons and their rotations and the type of plays that they run. You're just seeing that he's, he's able to put guys into the spots that they're comfortable in, but he's not able to take them out of that comfort zone and, and let them lead. Right. Uh, maybe I'm just completely going off the rails now because I'm so worked up after these embarrassing so, losses. <laughs> so I've got some lineup data here. And unfortunately it's not from cleaning the glass. I, for some reason I keep getting error codes, but the Pistons have five lineups this year that have played 21 minutes or more. Um, none of them are positive net ratings. The most played one is Killian Cade, Sadiq Grant, and Isaiah Stewart. And it's, it's, it's a minus 8.3 net rating. Um, the defense is an actual, is actually a flat 100. Um, nice. In, yeah, not bad. Offensive rating, it's a 91.7. So it's, you know, it, it's pretty poor. Their fifth most played lineup is, uh, <laughs> shockingly enough, it is Killian Hayes, Josh Jackson, Steak Bay, Jeremy Grant, Isaiah Stewart. Not too bad, not too off of what they offered last year. They are a minus 57.1 oh, net rating. No. It sounds impossible. Like normally, sure, you could see like a negative 250 net rating because a lineup played one minute. But they, they've played, that's the fifth most played lineup, and it's a minus 57.1, a 64.3 offensive rating with those five people doing offensive things, I think. Mike, Aaron, you can't, you can't see it. I'm making the sign of the cross right now and throwing holy water <laughs> at my computer screen because that is unholy. It's actually startling. I mean, it, it's actually surprising. The best lineup is Corey Joseph, Frank Jackson, Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles, Kelly Olynyk. I'm just assuming that's the garbage time lineup that picks up a couple points at the end of the game because the Pistons are down, you know, 23. So they just come in and bring the differential back to 16 and then the game ends. No, the Mike, lineup... it's actually it's actually because we're stupid and, uh, and, and, <laughs> and Dwayne Casey knows more than we do. And we're just spitting into the wind right now i mean <sighs> it's entirely possible that you know he's doing the best he can and the personnel is not doing him any favors either no and this goes back to troy for a little bit of the roster construction but again that's a different conversation um one other question that's not on our little note sheet here that might might cause a little bit of tension if, if there are any Cavs fans that are listening the Cavs did not offer Colin Sexton a contract, <laughs> a contract extension. I would imagine that they will match him in restricted free agency. But you had noted that Killian Hayes is not a shooter. The feasibility of both him and Kate Cunningham playing together, at least for now, seems purely defensive because those two are very fun defensively as huge guards that are just lanky. And they showed it a little bit on display against the Cavs when I was at the game. They were just in in the way. I mean, the Pistons had a ton of turnovers. The Cavs had 19 as well. They turned the ball over a ton. And part of that was Cade and Killian just wreaking havoc with only the one guard out there in Darius Garland. But right now, the offensive fit with the two of them seems not great because Killian is not a shooter. And 
the shooting on this team is limited. Colin Sexton's not afraid to shoot. He's also not afraid to drive to the hole uh, like a maniac, hair, you know, flying back. Do the Pistons make an offer in free agency for a guy like Colin Sexton to put him next to Kate Cunningham, a bigger point guard that could hide Colin's defensive deficiencies? It's a guy that opposing teams have to worry about off the bounce. He's blazing fast. I still think he's one of the fastest players in the league. He'll hurt you defensively, but when you need a bucket, he gives you another guy who can go get a bucket. What's the sense on, on Colin Sexton from Cavs people? I, Cause I feel like nationally he is not very well perceived. It's, it's split. Um, this is the moment for all the Colin Sexton naysayers with him out for a few months. And, the, you know, the Cavs have been playing exceedingly well. Yeah, they're a good they team. Probably, they probably, well, now with Evan Mobley out two to four weeks, we're about to crater into the earth like a Sputnik. But, you know, the team has been playing well with him and without him. Um, so his impact is kind of being put into question a little bit. He's still a very good offensive player. And there are times where we miss him on the court dramatically. He was the guy that we can go and ask to go get a bucket or just, you know, stop the bleeding by driving to the lane and getting fouled and going up and getting a couple of free throws. We do miss that greatly. I don't necessarily think that the Cavs are super sold on him. And now it's now I think his, his, his cost is going to go down with a torn meniscus. I mean, he's probably out for another five to seven weeks. I, I would say at least a partially torn meniscus. So the feeling in Cleveland is they kind of wanted to play Isaac Okoro next to Darius anyway for defensive purposes and try to find a three somewhere. Um, I think he could be had, and I don't think that that would make everybody lose their minds, but there are moments now where we're starting to miss his offense a little bit. I think he so, could be had. So, Mike, here's how I kind of look at it. Uh, first off, I have to offer it's a small correction. Uh, Sputnik is actually still in space. Never hit the ground, never cratered. Uh, that's good old Russian engineering for you. Second off, I still need to see the rest of this season play out before I can really say. And, and even then, it's like I don't 100% know because I really need to see Killian Hayes with any sort of a of a lob threat like I need to see something there that's actually going to play to his strengths and yeah we have said he's not a great shooter but he is a really good catch and shoot shooter like we're seeing it right now and I do think it is sustainable I'm not saying he's going to be at 40 plus percent from the season but I do think he can be above league average especially from the corners on catch and shoot looks so I don't know. For me, I worry that Sexton and Cade would kind of get in the way of each other a little bit. But on the other hand, like this is a team that so desperately needs scoring, so desperately needs that. I just for me, the the needs at forward and center are so much greater at this moment. Uh, that I guess I'd rather focus on those things and see what happens in free agency. Because 
look, the Pistons have a ton of money to throw around this summer and next summer, and not a lot of other teams do. I believe they are one of three teams coming up that have any sort of actual cap space. So if they do want to go after Colin Sexton, they'll be able to. It just comes down to whether the Cavs are going to match her. Aaron, any thoughts? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, honestly. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy that there's such a glaring need on this Pistons roster in a rim threat, in a, in a rim runner, a lob threat, that it's it's actually incredibly difficult to judge how this roster is actually assembled. Like, yeah, if they had a rim runner, how much different would this team be? How much easier would it be to see if Killian Hayes fit with this group or if life was easier for Cade Cunningham or for Jeremy Grant? Like, it is such a glaring omission that until it's changed, I don't know if there's a way to say otherwise, like, should they go after someone like Colin Sexton, who's a completely different guy to put alongside Kate Cunningham rather than Killian Hayes? So I personally at the moment can't really say that I think it's the right idea. Doesn't mean I'm intrigued by it, but I'd like to see the Pistons acquire some sort of lob threat, someone that kind of changes really how they can run their offense. And Paolo, Paolo, Paolo. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's a that's a long time for now. It's gonna be a long season if they they can't find any sort of help until then. I, I, and uh, with the news this week, I don't know if it's gonna get any easier in that regard for Paulo specifically. Mm. Not a good look in the news. No, no, that's true. I mean, the Suns don't want to pay DeAndre Ayton, so that's a possibility. Sure, I I take Ayton. <laughs> Why not? Of I course. would take him. Why Absolutely. not? Not Max. I just, I like the Andre. I, I really do, but he wants Max money and I would be disappointed yeah. if the Pistons were the team to give it to him. You, I think, I think you're probably right in that sense. You'll be looking at it in like three, four years, kind of like at the end of that Andre Drummond contract where you're like, uh, did he deserve it when he signed it? Eh, maybe sort of kind of not really. Uh, and you're but, paying a Detroit tax with that, you know. Yeah, you're big paying time. A Detroit tax for a lot of these contracts. Oh boy, Mike, Aaron, can we? We have to wrap this thing up. Can we talk about something fun? Can we talk about Kate? Dude, we could talk yes. about Marvin Bagley for an hour. So let's <laughs> move on. I mean, I know Jasper was was continuing to speak, and Mike was like trying to move on, and I also wanted to keep going, but I reserved myself. So like, we did probably. 20 to 25 minutes on Bagley and I'm, I'm very confident we could have done 20 or 25 more. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I, I was no, I had a lot okay. to get off it's my okay. chest. It's, yeah, it's okay. Yes, it's we tough. can talk about Cade settling in. I I think that's a nice segue to something positive. So Cade's last five games, he's got 16.2 points, five boards, four dimes, steal and a half almost. Does have four almost five turnovers, but that's what comes with young point guards. from the floor, almost 41% from deep. He had a great game against the Kings. The only shining point from that whole game, he had 25-8-8. 
he's looking the part. We said this on last week's pod, both Jasper and I, he's starting to look the part, starting to get that comfort level back to where, uh, you know, he had, he had it in college. We also noted this is like a preseason for him. He's trying to get, get his, you know, body into game shape and his conditioning in order and catch up with the NBA's drastically increased speed. Uh, he's looking the part. And we alluded to it before, Killing Hayes starting to figure some things out offensively. I would still would prefer if he was a little bit more aggressive in getting to the rim and you know, like figuring out what he wants to do when he gets like even remotely close to the rim, but he's showing progress. And, and you know, we're, we get down on him a lot. He's 20, <laughs> he's 20 years old and really playing the first meaningful minutes of his career um, without the shroud of an injury. So guys, any thoughts on Kate Cunningham starting to settle in and, and again, our weekly check-in on the fit with, Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham on the floor together. This is the Cade Cunningham as advertised. I mean, we knew that he did turn the ball over a fair amount, but my goodness, this is this is a rookie that can get to his spot, has shown he's capable of making big-time shots. Exhibit A, Toronto against OG Ananobi. Exhibit A, crossing up, or excuse me, Exhibit B, crossing up Scotty Barnes, and then going again at OG Ananobi. Like, he can play. The efficiency is way up. He's hitting his outside shot. He'd probably average 12 and a half times a game if Isaiah Stewart could make a layup. I mean, this is the player that the Pistons drafted. It was not the guy that we saw in the first two, three games. Like, this is the player, and it's easy to see why he was the number one pick. Uh immensely talented it's good to see him finally getting into his footing a little bit and I mean just some of the moves that he's making the Pistons have not had a guy capable of putting the ball on the floor and doing what he's doing while also being an outside shot maker a distributor a defender like an all-around guy the Pistons have not had that in a, a very very long time and Man, it, it's been really fun watching Kate over these last five games get better and better and better. And, I mean, the last game he flirted with a triple-double probably ends up getting it if he wasn't pulled out of the game due to the score. I mean, he is playing a lot better. He's getting to his spots. He's making his shots. And he's setting up his teammates who, as we've talked about, are historically bad shooting-wise right now. So... Uh, very, very high on the way that Kate Cunningham has performed and quickly on Killian Hayes. I mean, look, I was never worried about Killian Hayes. Like this is, this is what I expected out of him. I knew he was an incredible defender. I knew he was an incredible distributor. He sets up his guys. He makes the tough pass. He finds the open teammates. I guess the only thing that I'm, pleasantly surprised by and maybe wasn't expecting was the shooting. I mean, he is at 38% and it's getting better. He still needs to be more aggressive, but those, those two on the court together are absolutely working right now. And the potential is sky high for the, for the, for the two of them. I mean, as, as Cade continues to settle in and Killian continues to become more comfortable, 
those two have already shown defensively they are a problem. And as they both continue to find their footing on offense, that is probably the most exciting. It is the most exciting thing for the Pistons right now. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And, you know, we can throw those last five game stats out for Cade. I mean, 16 points, four assists, five rebounds, good efficiency. You'd love to see that. But I also am going to contrast that with Killian Hayes. Now, Killian did miss one of those games. He had that thumb injury. But here's Killian Hayes over the Pistons' last five games. Here's his numbers. Five and a half points, four, five rebounds, 5.3 assists, 1.8 steals, 1.8 turnovers. That's like you can see right there where they help each other out and where having Cade Cunningham playing well helps Killian Hayes a lot. But it's not just that. Killian's playing well on his own, too. Here's another nice little thing I like to see this. Out of the five starters over the last three games, over the last five games, Killian Hayes has uh, a minus 3.3 plus minus. That's the best of any of those guys. So you can still see the issues with him. I mean, look, he shot 38% from three. He shot 28% from the floor. So he needs to be able to finish. Like there are still the holes in his game that need to be fixed. He needs to be able to get to the rim and hit layups or, and, or he needs a floater package. One of those two things has to become a part of his game. But the fact that you have a young player who's able to go out there next to the future of your franchise and give you five by five by five with basically two steals, like his steals and his turnovers cancel out. That's amazing. That's really, really good. Um, So I think you're seeing where both Cade and Killian help each other, especially on defense. Uh, But they also help each other a lot in terms of that distribution because let's be real, they're two of the only guys on the roster right now who can hit a three-point shot. So uh, they kind of need each other. When one of them drives, you know, they can kick it to the other guy outside and it's helping them tremendously. And look, I also have to say one last thing about Killian Hayes, and I've harped on this a lot. The way he hits those passing lanes, man, he is brilliant. You just can see his sense of feel for the floor by the way he gets his steals. And I'm sure, Mike, you would agree with this. I saw it firsthand when I saw him play against the Nets. He did the same thing against the Cavaliers. He had six six steals. And I want to say four of them came directly from, like, on a pass. It wasn't that he jumped into a passing lane. He was already there before the player that threw the pass knew that they were going to throw that pass. So I think you hit the nail on the head once again, Aaron. Um, the defensive upside is tremendous. The offensive upside exists, but Killian still needs to become more consistent with that inside game. If he can just put that together, you can really see the foundation of something special with that backcourt. And, you know, even if that means not, taking a shot I mean we've seen plenty of times at least I you know I have in review of film and stuff there are times where he forces up a shot I mean he forced up a couple of a couple bad shots against the Cavs because he didn't he didn't really know what to do I mean getting into the lane and having a floater package I think he needs to have that 
I think he needs to. Darius Garland needed it really bad last year as well, and now he's developed it a little bit more. It helps when you have two rim runners and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen to kind of throw people off with the floater game as well. But he sometimes forces up bad shots, but you cannot deny that he is a very smart defender and sees things that most 20-year-olds don't typically see the game still moving too fast for them. I pulled up his last five games. You already went over the stats though, but yes, he does cancel out his assists. I'm sorry, his steals with turnovers, essentially. I mean, the points are not, are not there yet. There's, the overall field goal percentage is not there. His last five games, he's shooting 44%, nearly 44% from deep. Pretty outstanding, not sustainable, but hopefully a, you know, a sign of better things to come. I said earlier, the defensive impact of those two guys on the court at the same time, both him and Cade, it's just tantalizing. It just is. You know, they are both very good defenders. They can they can play and defend multiple uh, positions. That's very valuable, of course, in a league of constant switching. So, I, I mean, the results aren't all there yet because the team is still getting blown out by, you know, bad teams like Sacramento. But... I think you're seeing progress in a meaningful way. And the fact that they're both healthy is also, you know, probably the only, the only super bright spot right now. Um, You get to see the, you know, the future backcourt work out all of the kinks um, and get better. We don't have to go over the, you know, the first eight games or whatever it was for Gillian Hayes because they were not pretty. Um, But uh, you know, there, there is definitely positives to take away and going back to having the rim runner, I, you know, you're definitely right. They need one really badly. And I think that that's going to eventually lead to Jeremy Grant as being that guy. You know, you have no other options. You may as well try to play small and have Grant at the five. And that's a rim runner that you can try to get into the offense and give Killian and Cade another, another option, another tool offensively. And this goes back to, Dwayne Casey and, and his job with crafting lineups, you need to be able to put guys in good spots to make good plays. And the, you know, the sets that they run, I tweeted it during the Cavs and, um, and Pistons game. I watched an after timeout play of Isaiah Stewart sets a screen to free up Jeremy Grant. And then he ISOs for five seconds and puts up a mid range and it clanks. We can do better. They have to do better. And I think, Something that he could do easily would be putting Grant at the five and trying to get Cade and Killian, you know, freed up a bit and give them an option on offense. Certainly agree with you there, Mike. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the that's kind of the problem with evaluating each individual player on this team almost is that the team as a whole is so bad and doesn't really gel at all that it's kind of impossible to to separate any one individual from uh, the hot, sticky mess that is the Detroit Pistons of 2021. So, you know, there, there are obviously there's so much upside there and you can see the potential for what this backcourt could become, but they need that rim runner, man. They, they really, really need it because otherwise I just think that Killian Hayes with his lack of, a super quick, you know, dribble and ability to get into the lane is he's going to keep struggling offensively. But look, the fact that he's even shooting 
as well as he is from outside, I think gives you reason to be patient, reason to be hopeful, because <laughs> if you look at what he did last year from, from deep, even on those catch and shoots, like it was not good at all. Um, so seeing the improvement this season has even within the season, like he's gotten better as the season's gone on already just through 13 games. And that's obviously a positive that you have to take away from it because boy, there's so few other positives. Well, guys, we only have to wait one more month and then we'll have the rim run of the bell need in Marvin Bagley. So just another yeah. month of waiting and we'll be, we'll be fine. And Ben Simmons um, throwing him lobs, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that whole situation. We could have a whole other podcast about about <laughs> Ben Simmons. Uh, it's well covered by uh, the Athletic and ESPN with daily updates of what Ben Simmons is eating for breakfast uh, <laughs> and how that relates back to the Sixers and their inability to uh, reconcile with him. Guys, we are at a long pod. Uh, we've hit everything. Aaron, I know that you lost your voice uh, last week. Is there anything that you wanted uh, to add onto all of our all of our topics or, or anything else that? Um, no, I'll just add this. Right, so palaceofbusiness.com. Obviously, we always want you to check that out. Um, I'm going to be covering the Grand Rapids Drive this or Grand Rapids Drive. Jesus, uh, towards that 2018. <laughs> no longer uh, credentialed. No, seriously, uh, Motor City Cruise. So. I was down there. Um, we're going to have some other guys down there throughout the season um, covering them and uh, getting a little bit of a different perspective. And we're getting our eyes up close and personal with the uh, G League player of the week, Saban Lee. So um, definitely make sure to keep your eye out for coverage on that. Um, there's a lot of good stuff going on at, at Palace of Pistons. So always check us out, follow us on all our socials at Palace of Pistons on Twitter palace of pistons on instagram uh, we got a facebook page check us out there um yeah, thanks everyone for the support i mean obviously some of these things that we're able to do don't happen without the support of our viewers our listeners our readers whatever um so thank you to all of you guys that are here listening right now um and stay tuned for all this coverage as the season goes on i'll second that i'll second that Th yeah we certainly appreciate it Jasper, we just got showed up for not doing that last week. We're here goofing around talking about like uh, Jamarco Pickett and uh, you know other other goofy crap. And Aaron comes back and he's like, "Hey, hey, I'm actually the adult in the room. The youngest one here is actually the adult in the room." This is that's correct, man. We got a real th second triumvirate thing going on here. Aaron's our Julius Caesar, so we thank you for that, Aaron. And uh, please don't stab us in the back too soon. <laughs> Guys, good podcast. Um, still a lot to come with the Pistons. They are going to get Marvin Bagley, it seems. Um, hopefully that's not the highlight before the end of the year. But um, still, tune in. Watch that backcourt play and certainly tune in to us as well. Um, Pals of Pistons has you covered for all of uh, Pistons content for this season. And as Aaron said, thank you all for listening. And hopefully reading our content as well. Um, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Bet Online. Again, you can use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive a 50% welcome bonus at their website. Um, this has been the Palace of Pistons podcast. I'd like to uh, 
thank Aaron and Jasper for joining me once again, as they always do. Aaron, please don't use your voice again. We need you to be the adult in the room. Um, thank you for listening to Palace Business Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. We will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.